Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, dinosaurs and terrible ice cream. It is the most satisfying feeling piecing turtle back together. <laughs> it clicks in the most satisfying way. If the bone is a is a good texture, it's a very cool feeling to to put something back together that's not been together for seventy five million years. There are so many cool unknown. Like dinosaurs, we are just scratching the surface of, right? So, I mean, there's dinosaurs like Cryolophosaurus that lived in Antarctica. It says that volcanoes actually helped rewarm up the atmosphere after the asteroid hit the Earth and caused basically nuclear winter. So it was a very, very interesting kind of time on Earth. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like download subscribe share we really appreciate it it really helps us out so does anyone not like dinosaurs has anyone ever looked at a dinosaur and just thought nope not interested in that thing no our first guest is a paleontologist and she has this fascinating insight into not only what it takes to find these fossils but to put them together and also what we're now learning from them using the latest research techniques. This is paleontologist Ashley Hall. So did you just kind of never grow out of the, the dinosaur phase, or how did you become a paleontologist? You know, I was one of those kids at age four that just knew. I, you know, grew up loving dinosaurs. I don't remember how or when, but my parents took me to the Field Museum in Chicago, Illinois, which is one of the best museums in the entire world. And my passion just was ignited as soon as I walked into the, because when you walk in, it's so grand and it has a specific smell. I'm, it's very difficult to describe, but if you've ever been into a natural history museum, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, it kind of smells like marble and taxidermy, which I find really appealing <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> what was it about it, though? Was it just the size? Was it the fact that they're not here anymore? Like, what was it about dinosaurs that really sucked you in? It's a little bit of everything. I think as a kid, you're just awestruck that something that large can live or did live on the planet. And the fact that we can still find their remains is just awe-striking. So dinosaurs really spark our, imag our imaginations. 
something that always jumps out at me is, you know, I, I have the impression in my mind that they lived. All right, I know they lived 65 million years ago, but they lived for hundreds of millions of years. Like how long yeah. were dinosaurs around? That just blows my mind. They're definitely one of the, the longest reigning groups of animals. Definitely, you know, fish have it over them. So fish have been around for, for much longer, about 400 million years or so. Um, so it goes kind of fish, reptiles, amphibians, dinosaurs are a specialized group of reptiles. So they have been around for, um, oh gosh, it's 180 million years. So from the Triassic, uh, 252 million years ago to the late Cretaceous, which is now 66 million years ago, which is when the asteroid hit and um, caused the demise of uh, many non-avian dinosaurs. Is that still pretty much, I mean, that was the thing that I remember learning as a kid and we're about the same age. Is that still basically the rock solid idea of what happened to them? You know, over the years, there have been lots of different hypotheses that have been um, kind of looked at to figure out, well, was dinosaur diversity um, kind of waning? Were they on their way out anyways? Um, but no matter what, what it comes down to is the asteroid. So, you know, this giant, um, massive, massive rock hit um, the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico and caused mass devastation. So that is still the reigning hypothesis of the mass dinosaur. Um, we call it the KPG or Cretaceous Paleogene Extinction. Um, the main hypothesis as to why the dinosaurs are no longer with us. Now, um, there have been um, papers recently, so you can look at Alessandro, Alessandro Quirenza's uh, paper. It says that volcanoes actually helped rewarm up the atmosphere after the asteroid hit the Earth and caused basically nuclear winter. So it was a very, very interesting kind of time on Earth. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like the reset button where it's just all right, we're starting over again, scratching the slate clean. So The asteroid hits and when it hits, but it's not like, hey, two weeks later, everybody's dead. Like, what kind of a time frame are we talking about before they were gone? Now, the actual time frame, so it wasn't like a split second and everything was gone. Um, obviously, because the asteroid hit in the Yucatan Peninsula, the other side of the globe wasn't directly impacted. Now, I feel so bad for the dinosaurs that were in the Yucatan, because can you imagine... Being a dinosaur in that area, right, in Mexico, and not even getting a chance to, like, think twice. <laughs> like, just, it's like, what's it that? Was, oh. It was, yeah, no, it was just, I mean, you see these cartoons of dinosaurs looking up into the sky and kind of seeing uh, a star or something, and, you know, they're saying, like, what's that? What's going on over there? Um But for those dinosaurs that were directly around that impact zone, it would have like, they wouldn't have known what hit them. It would have melted them before they had a chance. Were they smart? Do we think that dinosaurs were smart? Absolutely. Well, it depends on the dinosaur. So when you say dinosaur, what do you think of, for example? I mean, I think of Jurassic Park dinosaurs, T-Rex, Brachiosaurus, Triceratops, okay. Stegosaurus. I mean, I think of the big ones, the ones that capture everybody's attention. Sure, yeah. Um, so actually, we do know and can tell if dinosaurs were or were not smart. 
Um, so by looking at dinosaur skulls, you can actually see where their brain was inside of their skull. And you can actually do CT scans in a hospital, just like you would on you or me. And you can see the inside of their skull. Now, that's a really cool thing because we can actually image the sections of their brain. So how, how big their optic um, uh, lobes were, um, how big different regions of the brain were compared to um, other dinosaurs, right? So we know that T-Rex, for example, had a really, really good sense of smell. Um, maybe couldn't do uh, math very well, of course, you know. But um, when, we, when we say smart, you know, what does smart actually mean? Um, when I think of smart, I think of an animal being able to have cognition, to be able to, um, you know, reason. Um, I think of corvids, so I think of crows, ravens, magpies being really, really smart animals. And we know that dinosaurs shared some of those same characteristics. And actually, to clear up everything right away, birds are dinosaurs, so the corvids, um, ravens, magpies, um, crows are the smartest group of birds. I mean, I, I've always heard the old kind of saying is like, you can't, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb, climb a tree, you're going to think it's stupid. <laughs> you know, you're going to, you're going to think it's stupid. Exactly. It, if, if we were to compare their intelligence to like an animal alive today. Yeah. What would you probably say? Like, oh, they're about like that. Um, so what's your favorite dinosaur? Maybe we can start there. <sighs> I'm a triceratops man. Um, Triceratops had not the biggest brain for its size. So when you think of something like an elephant, elephants have the massive brain, right? They're a mammal. They're warm-blooded. So they're not to be compared to a dinosaur, really. But for all intents and purposes, let's compare, like, um, a Triceratops to a rhino, right? They're about the same size. So they weren't, you know, the smartest dinosaurs, but they definitely had... um, the capability to protect themselves. They um, fought off these amazing giant predators like T-Rex in their environment, and they reproduced and they survived. And we think they probably um, <laughs> moved in herds, not to quote Jurassic Park, but I'm going to quote Jurassic Park. Um, and so, you know, a lot of these group animals um, hung out together. They had social interactions. So um, they were just about as smart as, I don't know, a lot of the animals we probably have around in the Great Plains today. They're not stupid, basically, right? No, if you're able no. to survive that long, you're obviously doing Although something right. if you want right. to talk about, um, you know, sort of the idea of dinosaurs being stupid, um, that does come from kind of the 1800s, kind of the antiquated thought of, like, you know, Stegosaurus, for example. Um, <laughs> Stegosaurus is a great example because Stegosaurus has uh, a brain the size of two walnuts. So if you imagine holding your hand out and having two walnuts in your hand, that's the size of Stegosaurus's brain, which was a multi-ton animal. Um, And that is um, the animal that people thought had two brains for a while. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I do kind of remember that. Like one was in the tail or something. Yeah, one's in the butt and one's in the front so that they can kind of operate the whole animal. But yeah, that's been actually disproven, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they just had one brain. Poor Stegosaurus was kind of a big dummy then. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're an animal that's got um, plates and spikes and everything on the outside of you, I mean, you know, that's pretty much the protection you need. Whereas, <laughs> you know, the smarter dinosaurs, when we think of quote-unquote smart, um, being um, 
predatory dinosaurs, right? If you're a predatory dinosaur, you don't have to just lazily eat your food, right? Plants are everywhere. So herbivores have the pick of everything and they kind of can, can graze and, and have plants at their leisure. But, you know, when you're a carnivore, that really takes a cunning skill. The predators like T-Rex, the Dromaeosaurs, which are raptors, um, and a lot of the, um, like allosaurs, the predatory dinosaurs were definitely the smarter quote unquote dinosaurs. If you want to talk about smart in that sort of respect. So when I imagine paleontologists like yourself going and studying animals, like I'm just yeah. imagining you out digging in a field somewhere, how, <laughs> like how do you actually do this? So I was actually, in my career, I've been more of a lab paleontologist, and um, as of more recent years, I've been specializing in the educational aspect. So when I started um, my career in paleontology, um, which I graduated from IU Bloomington with a degree in anthropology, and then got a job working at excuse me, the Raymond M. Alf Museum of Paleontology in Claremont, California, which, by the way, if you ever get out to California, the Ray Alf Museum is situated on a high school campus. So it's a public museum that is on a high school campus. It's a boarding school. So there's actually kids that are high schoolers that get to go to a school with a museum. So I spent five years at the Ray Alf Museum as assistant curator, which means that when everybody goes out to the field and they bring everything back, so we bring the fossils back in plaster jackets and plastic bags, um, I would go through and sort out all the little pieces, um, make sure everything had labels, and make sure the, you know, the specimens stay with what they were brought back with, right? So if you have... Um, you know, five bags together, make sure those bags stay together because they might go to one animal. So a lot of um, paleontology, when you think of paleontology, is done in the field, digging up stuff, Jurassic Park, right? Um, but there are so many different aspects to paleontology, and mine was focused on um, uh, uh, the curational aspect, right? So what happens to dinosaurs after they get back to the lab? How do you guys then figure out like learn yeah. about them just from <laughs> looking at their bones, right? Yeah. So that's like the biggest, coolest thing about paleontology, right? It's a giant puzzle. And mind you, I was not a fan of puzzles as a kid. So <laughs> I just, um, I'm actually a perfectionist. So when I'm looking at a bag of broken fragments, all I can think about is just putting it back together. So for example, turtles make the best puzzles. Um, <laughs> so in the Cretaceous period, um, 66 million years ago and actually about 75 million years ago where our field site was in Utah, Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, and it is the most satisfying feeling piecing turtle back together <laughs> or any bone for that matter, because it just, it clicks in the most satisfying way. If the bone is a, is a good texture, it is extremely cool. It's a very cool feeling to, to put something back together that's not been together for 75 million years. I would imagine that's crazy, right? Does it? Do you get used to the idea that you're holding something in your hand that is that old? Yeah, and that's, that's part of the intrigue, right? So, you know, my whole... My whole career, whether I'm in a museum or out in the field or whatever, if I pick something up, you might be the first person to touch that fossil, right? If you're in the field 
if you're in a museum collection, that might also be the case because um, a lot of these specimens are brought back in bulk. A lot of them are brought back in plaster jackets and we don't get to excavating them for maybe 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years even, right? So when you're uncovering something in the lab, you're maybe seeing it for the first time ever that any human has ever seen. Have mammals changed very much? Mammals were around at the same time, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, mammals evolved um, right alongside dinosaurs. So, I mean, it's kind of funny because you think of dinosaurs and... You know, they're so big. And then mammals were just these little things, you know, that didn't get bigger than a raccoon that were kind of scurrying around the feet of dinosaurs because they were um, they were living at the same time. And dinosaurs definitely had the edge. So mammals went from these very small creatures that were, um, you know, pretty, pretty poor vision. They lived mainly at night. But our vision is not as good as birds, not as good as reptiles. Fish have amazing vision. Our vision's okay. And so when mammals were running around under the feet of dinosaurs, you know, they didn't really get their chance to shine until well after. So, I mean, you did have some pretty cool um, adaptations evolving. There were seed eaters. There were carnivores. You kind of have those niches still. So, you know, imagine... um, like squirrel-like animals, opossum-like animals, um, otter-like animals. But it wasn't until dinosaurs went extinct 66 million years ago that mammals just took off. And then after that, you know, not even 10 million years later, you get, and I say only 10 million years in the grand scheme of time, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, you get these amazing, um, you know, whales evolving. My goodness, when the marine reptiles died out, um, the big mosasaurs like we see in Jurassic World that jumps up and, you know, eats the shark, um, you know, mosasaurs died out, leaving room essentially for mammals to fill that. So we see the same sort of pattern, right? So after um, dinosaurs died out, mammals kind of took those niches over and thrived. So then who's going who's gonna to take over for us then? Oh, man. You know, I'm really voting for cephalopods. What? Wait, <laughs> I want squid and octopus to take over. <laughs> it's their time. It's their time. It's gonna, it might be soon. You know, uh, there's this really funny thing going around on the internet. I don't know if you ever saw it. It was um, tree octopus. It was like a fake thing. Uh-uh. Did you ever see that? It was, uh, it was kind of like a, I don't know, like a fake internet thing back in the day, but... Um, I think it was in the Pacific Northwest, but I feel like if cephalopods, I mean, they can change color, they can, um, oh gosh, be all different sizes. They're just restricted to water. So I feel like if we could get them up on land, they might, uh, they might take over. Are you ready for the harder slash listener submitted questions? Absolutely. We got some good ones. Better fictional paleontologists, Ross in Friends or Alan Grant in Jurassic Park? Hands down. Absolutely. So, Alan Grant, Jurassic Park, which, by the way, Jurassic Park, favorite movie of all time. I saw it when I was nine years old in the theater and literally walked out of the theater that day and was, like, seeing the world differently. It was insane. As a paleontologist, though, what about that movie, like, makes your eye twitch? Oh, my gosh. Like, in a bad way? Yeah. Like, oh, they got that wrong. Um, it's actually the latter movies. 
So Jurassic World makes me crazy. Jurassic Park had amazing, just groundbreaking science that hadn't been done before and animals that had never been shown that way on the big screen or pretty much ever. And, um, and Jurassic World has had every opportunity to grow on that and to actually incorporate real science, but they actually went the opposite direction and went the genetically mutated monster movie way. So they took our beautiful, lovely dinosaurs that were sort of like a frog hybrid, right? And just sort of, you know, well, they're made in a lab. It's maybe not like how dinosaurs really were, and maybe they can change their sex. But then they just took that and ran with it and made these mutants. So it's no longer you. I can't. I can't even like. I'm stuttering. I can't even talk about Jurassic World because there's nothing to talk about. <laughs> it's so hard for us as paleontologists to watch that movie. What is the most overrated dinosaur? Um, T Rex. And the reason I say most overrated is because it's everywhere, right? You, like, Google search dinosaur and T-Rex pretty much comes up. Not to say it's not the most interesting dinosaur, because it is fascinating and it is amazing and I love it so much, but it is definitely overrated. There's so many more cool carnivores. What do you think is the most interesting dinosaur? Oh my gosh. There are so many cool, unknown Like, dinosaurs, we are just scratching the surface of, right? So, I mean, there's dinosaurs like Cryolophosaurus that lived in Antarctica, right? So they lived at the very bottom of the world, and we barely know anything about them. They're super, super cool. They had a crest on their head that kind of made them look like Elvis. Oh, I know which ones you're talking about. Yeah, it's on Dinosaur Train. Yeah, that's the problem though. That crust made him look kind of, kind of doofy, and then I think people lost interest. <laughs> yeah. This kind of leads me into this one question we got sent. Let me make sure I get this right because it's actually like too intelligent for me to screw up. On a percentage basis, how many dinosaur species do you believe have been discovered relative to the total number of dinosaur species that have existed? This is a great question. Thank you to whoever answered that. Okay, so let's put it in perspective. So on Earth today, there are 10,000 plus species of birds. Dinosaurs that we have right now, I think, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's in the thousand range. Maybe we have a thousand described species. And by the way, I can't keep up with dinosaur paleontology. My inbox every day gets filled with new papers and there's new groundbreaking stuff that happens just about every week. So we are in a really awesome time for paleontology. So, you know, if you're interested in paleontology, definitely read up and, you know, subscribe to these different channels and outlets for for paleontology news because there's like something new every day. It's crazy. So I think the percentage is very low, right? I think everyone would agree with me on this because when you look at the different numbers of species that we have, right? Lizards, snakes, birds, mammals on earth currently, and we're only looking at a fraction of time, you know, dinosaurs were around like once again, 180 million years. And we only have a thousand some species that we've ever found. So I think it's drastically, drastically, I mean, maybe we've discovered, I'm so bad at percentages, guys. I mean, it sounds like five to 10%. 10%. 
like five to ten almost is what it sounds like. It's very, very, very low. And it depends on if you are a splitter or a lumper. Because in paleontology, you can say, okay, these animals, even though they look pretty different, are probably one species. Or you can say, they look so different, they're probably different species. Oh, I see. So you can say, well, this one may be a female, and this one might be a male. Or you can say, well, this one's obviously a different species. You know, so it's very, very difficult because these are not living, breathing animals that we can go study. So you have to look at geology. So you have to look at the rock layer in which they were found. Because if they were found in the same rock layer, they could be, I mean, the same species. It could be male and female. Um, it's really difficult to tell. But if you found, let's say... Um, a triceratops, because you said that was your favorite. Triceratops down, um, oh gosh, in one layer of the Hell Creek Formation in Montana where they're found. And then you find a similar-looking ceratopsian, which looks like triceratops, but it's millions of years later. Can you still call it triceratops, or is it triceratops and a different species name? Right, so it could be that you have triceratops Horridus in one layer and Triceratops persis in another layer, and maybe one evolved into the other one. So it's crazy, right? So this is like part of the fascinating, like tangle of web that is paleontology. You kind of have to pick apart and really analyze um, dinosaurs in order to not overblow your like, you know, we have two million species of dinosaurs. <laughs> Are there places on Earth where paleontologists would like to dig but cannot because of you can't get to the environment, the government doesn't allow it, conflicts? Is there like a place that, oh, if we could only get there? Ooh. Well, luckily, the government does allow paleontology. So we are lucky enough to be able to dig on Bureau of Land Management land. So any national... Um, like Grand, Grand Staircase Escalante National Park um, is an amazing place. Bears Ears. We've got all these different places in the southwest and um, sort of the central plains areas that have these amazing fossils that we do have access to because of the government. But the fossils that are hardest to reach are actually because they are out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so... The area where where I've worked, which is Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, is the most rugged place I think that you could find fossils in the United States. Um, I say that because when when you go out to excavate there, you have to camp um, about six miles from the dig site. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> so, my first time out, you know, it was my very first excavation, and I was so excited, and we get to the campground, and it's beautiful, and there's rocks everywhere, and, you know, just the most gorgeous landscape, you know, huge, huge rocks and canyons, and it's like, all right, well, in the morning, got to get up super early, because the dig site's like, you know, three, four miles this way, you know, it's like six miles round trip, so... Um, you know, the reason for that is because you can't, you know, when you think of something like a canyon, you can't get a vehicle down into the canyon. And 
in the return aspect, you can't get heavy dinosaur fossils that are yeah, huge, right, yeah. back out unless you helicopter them out. So paleontologists have to find very creative ways to get, you know, these really amazing, beautiful fossils back to their repository. <laughs> L- lamest dinosaur. Lamest? Oh, everyone's going to hate me. Um, <laughs> so the lamest dinosaur, I think, is Camptosaurus. And Camptosaurus, so there are these, there is a group of dinosaurs called Ornithischians, and they are sort of the plant-eating dinosaurs that you walk into a museum and you kind of walk past them because they don't have any crazy, like, you know, head ornamentation or sharp claws or sharp teeth or anything. They're just kind of like the goats of the Cretaceous. So I'm not, like, a huge fan of Camptosaurus. Um, I know a lot of people love them, and I'm sorry, but uh, but there is a best dinosaur. Do you want to know the best dinosaur? Yeah, who's the, who's the best? Who's, like, the biggest badass? All right. The best dinosaur is Parasaurolophus. Do you know which one this is? No, uh-uh. Okay, so imagine, so this was actually in Jurassic Park 3, no 2. Um, so Parasaurolophus is the big duckbill dinosaur with the crest. Oh. Big, long crest. I know what you're talking about. back, yeah, on its head. So Parasaurolophus has been my favorite dinosaur since I was little, and I don't know why. It's just one of those things you like as a kid, and you're like, yeah, this is my thing. And then I grew up and started working at the Ray Alf Museum, and guess what? On my first dig, I got to go dig up a baby Parasaurolophus. Well, like that's still like a size of a human being, though, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's it's exactly the size of a human being. It's actually the size of like a really big dog. So you know, it came full circle for me. And it, what's really cool about learning about dinosaurs is that when they're babies, they look different than when they were adults. So you get these little baby Parasaurolophus. Imagine like a baby rhino. You know how they're born with like a little tiny nub instead of a big horn? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so baby Parasaurolophus hatched out of an egg with a little teeny tiny bump on its head. And then as they get older, they grow these huge, huge tubes on their head, which are basically nasal cavities. So imagine having your nose, right, be super, super long and up through your skull. (laughs) They actually pushed air through that, so they took in air and pushed it through their head. It was basically a, a big resonating chamber and made sounds um, for communication with one another. Oh. So it was like kind of communicating by tuba. <laughs> they do they look like a they look like a tuba kangaroo, basically. <laughs> yeah, they really I do. Spit out my coffee. <laughs> they do look like a cross between a tuba and a kangaroo. Tuba kangaroo. I look. If you discover a new species, I need. Can you call oh it the tuba kangaroo? I love it. <laughs> Speaking of uh, of new species, um, uh, like I said, there's all sorts of new things being discovered all the time. But did you know that you can name a new dinosaur off of anything? No. Yeah. So if you are a paleontologist, you can name a dinosaur off of a Star Wars character if you like Star Wars. Um, there was a lizard that was named Obamadon after President Obama. <laughs> I remember that. It's a great name, Obamadon. <laughs> Obamadon. Um, there are dinosaurs. 
dinosaurs that are named after the land they were found on, the person that found it. You just can't name it after yourself because that's seen as kind of tacky. So the co-host of this podcast does not believe in dinosaurs because enough fossils haven't been found. <laughs> that is my reaction as well. Can you can you please educate this man? And I, I didn't mean to laugh, no, but it's we have so many, oh my gosh. So I spent um, I spent five years at the ALF Museum um, cataloging fossils, and I think I cataloged like 10,000 fossils. And that's just in my time at one museum. Dinosaur paleontology started in the 1800s with Cope and Marsh. These are two um, very distinguished paleontologists back in the day, um, professors and they actually tried to outcompete one another because when they were first starting out in paleontology, um, and if you can imagine, there were just there were fossils everywhere in the American West because no one had collected them before, and so you have whole skeletons laying on the surface: Triceratops, T. Rex, duckbill dinosaurs, Edmontosaurus, um, and so they were actually able to get the best of the collection right right off the bat. And I wish I could have seen what it was like for them because it, I mean, you, you can go into areas today where that happens, but, you know, like in Dinosaur um, Provincial Park up in Alberta, Canada, which is an amazing place to go, by the way, if you ever want to see fossils, um, there are just fossils laying everywhere. And it is one of the coolest things to look around and just see them laying around you like they did in the 1800s. So, you know, we've, we've started doing paleontology in the 1800s. It's only about 200 years old, and the technologies we have now to learn about them are absolutely incredible. Like, for example, we have CT scanning, which is, you know, one of the coolest things to see inside of a dinosaur bone. But did you know that we actually now can get proteins and collagen out of dinosaur bones? Like 65 million years later, we can pull it out of there. Absolutely. Yep. So at the Museum of the Rockies here, so I live in Bozeman, Montana, um, There are there's a very, very cool cutting-edge lab here. Museum of the Rockies is known for kind of um, pioneering this. So it's called histology, and it's done by um, the medical professionals today. Um, it's basically where you take a thin section of something and look at it under a microscope. So... <clears throat> what, <clears throat> excuse me, what you can do today is if you take a dinosaur fossil, let's say um, a limb bone of a T-Rex, and if you make a very, very thin section, imagine slicing through a log, right? So taking a very, very paper-thin section, and then we grind it down, and if you look at it under a microscope, you can actually see how old the animal was when it died, so we can count um, growth rings inside of the bone that deter that are basically lines of growth, so they're seasonal. So dinosaurs had seasons, just like we had seasons today, and um, they had periods where they were growing more than other times, so we can actually look and see, oh, this dinosaur was five years old, or this dinosaur was ten years old, or this one was just hatched, right? But then the even cooler aspect is you can actually, like, mind-blowing stuff. There are chemical analyses that we can do now today to extract protein in certain dinosaur fossils. This is so cool. Um, and I'm happy to provide links for listeners if you want to read more about this. 
So I know everyone's thinking Jurassic Park, right? So, oh, can we, you know, recreate dinosaurs? And, you know, um, DNA actually doesn't preserve for more than about 500 to 700,000 years. And dinosaurs live 66 million years. But what we're seeing are um, proteins that are still left over in some of these fossils that are that old. So we're starting to get a better idea about um, preservation, and hopefully this can give insight into more about their biology. So, you know, the biggest thing I want people to know about dinosaur bones is that they're not rocks. That's kind of the thing that we're taught as kids is like, oh, bones are, you know, rocks or whatever. You know, it's just like a rock in the shape of a bone. No, they're actually bones. Um, you know, bones, your skeleton, my skeleton are made of minerals and they're produced by our body. And so, um, sometimes we can get chemical signatures from those things that are even that old. I mean, it's just incredible. That's pretty much, pretty much all I got. Is there anything, what's next coming up for you? How can people get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, so I have a brand new book out called Fossils for Kids, which is, I think, how you found me in the first place, right? Oh, my son loves dinosaurs. Four. Oh, awesome. So my book is for ages five to nine, or as I say, five to 99. And it's called Fossils for Kids, A Junior Scientist Guide to Dinosaur Bones, Ancient Animals, and Prehistoric Life on Earth. And you can find it pretty much at every big retailer online, um, Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble. And it is the most comprehensive guide for kids who love fossils and really want to dig in and you know take a big bite out of the science. So um, you can find me on um, Twitter at Lady Naturalist. You can find me on Instagram at Lady underscore Naturalist. And um, yeah, pretty much all social media. I want to thank Ashley so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we have also included Ashley's information in the RSS feed that's on this podcast. Okay. Now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. Hello? Do you think that you've ruined anyone's life? Probably not. I'm, okay, but think for a second about this, right? Like, think of high school interactions, think of work interactions. Do you think that you've ruined anyone's life? Well, I was thinking more about this, and there is one story that comes to mind. Uh, and I'll keep it brief. I but it was that. at my bachelor party. But I didn't really do it. I, I a guy shot himself at my bachelor party, uh, and he ended up losing his job in the law enforcement field. And I don't think I don't think he's ever gotten anywhere near uh, like his dream career ever again. Rightfully so. And like I didn't give him the gun or anything. Like it was his own gun. But like, if he wasn't at my bachelor party, would have would it have happened? You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I think that if you're in law enforcement and you manage to shoot yourself with your own gun, like his you may have ended contributed to ending his career a little prematurely, but I don't think that he had a bright future ahead of him. Okay, I can think of a couple of people whose lives I may have ruined just by talking to them. But yeah, pretty much when you get right down to it. <laughs> you know, I didn't physically do anything to them. But in hindsight, looking back on it, like, oh, I might have ruined those guys' lives. 
Does any of it have to do with terrible decisions? Well, one of them, yes. The other one, no. Real quick, I'll give some context. This kid named, whose name may or may not rhyme with John Truex, freshman year high school, he was a kid that we knew before, invited him over to my house one day. He was kind of a shy kid, but we got along. And then while we were playing with basketball, I accidentally, and it was legitimately an accident, but it looked like it was on purpose, but I hit him in the face with the basketball. And the next time I saw him was like senior year, and he was just walking through high school by himself. May have accidentally ruined that kid's life. Uh, No, I mean... I'm just going to play devil's advocate here and say that if, if that's enough to ruin his life, then that's probably on him. That shouldn't have ruined his life. I don't think he ruined his life. I think that there. I think that people can have tipping points, and if you get somebody at exactly the wrong moment, you can tip them. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna side with. Uh, I don't I don't think. I mean, maybe maybe the stage, maybe high school is ruined for him. Maybe, but he's probably a millionaire now and. Is married to a Russian supermodel. He uh, he is not. <laughs> See, but here's the, the the rest of that circumstance. You got to look at it from his perspective, right? Like, here's one of the people that was kind of his only friends at a new school. Invites him over. He's excited, and then he just ends up getting hit in the face with a basketball. Like, it could push you over the edge. Yeah, it definitely could. But to ruin. You know, you said you were a freshman to ruin four years because of that. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, for once, I'm, I, I just don't think that it's all your fault. Maybe for like a month it could be your fault, but not for the rest of his life. I, maybe I'm giving it too much substance. I think to like ruin somebody's life like has to be like something so major that their life is just ruined. See, I think that it's actually much, much more subtle than that. To give a quick backstory, I basically went into my former career as a news broadcaster because of what some random person on a booze cruise said. I think somebody can say something I think somebody can say something to you at the wrong time or the right time and it just changes everything for you. I think you can have a it's the butterfly effect, right? The butterfly flaps its wings in this one place and a typhoon results in another place. I really think that stuff is true. I mean, I don't disagree with you on that, and that's actually a great point. We've all been hitting the face with balls from time to time. I mean, some a lot more than others. <laughs> Listen, I was caught off guard one time playing basketball, and the kid just threw it at my face. I think he did it on purpose. You know what's ironic is I remember playing basketball with John Truex, and the exact same thing happened to him in a basketball game. Kid just hit him in the face with a basketball. <laughs> so it's not the first time he's been hit with a basketball. Anyway, John Truex, if by some chance you hear this, man, I'm sorry. It wasn't on purpose. Apologize for that. Now somebody hears this on this podcast, probably ruined his life again. So sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you double apologize. That's that's what counts, I suppose. Okay, let's move on. What do you got? I got I got, I got a lot today, man. I, I, let's start out with some shout-outs first. Appreciate, we appreciate, because we're a we Everyone checking us out, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, even though Facebook's like the shit now, but either way. When did Facebook, can I ask you a question? When did Facebook become the shit of social media? Has it been like years or am I just late to the party? I think it's been building, right? It's definitely been really bad, at least in my opinion. I'm not a big Facebook guy, but it's definitely been really bad in like the last six months. 
But I think it's been building for about the next last three years, I would say, where that stuff just, oh, this is getting, woo, this like getting it. deep in here. I don't like it. I'm sure half our listeners don't like it either. So, okay. Any, anyway, <laughs> let's give some shout outs. Uh, we'll start with Hannah. Thank you very much. Uh, David, Genevieve, Cal L. He has a pretty cool name, by the way. You'll appreciate this one. Cal L. Skywalker. Uh, Tim, Janice, Mario Trejo, Drew Kempe, Dre Rock, and Cameron. You all get the gold stars today for uh, checking us out in some way, shape, or form on social media. So thank you very much. Do you know who Cal L. is? Uh, no, not really. Should I know who he is? Yeah, you should. <laughs> I'm going to give you three seconds to think about it. Do you know who Cal L. is? Of course I know who Cal L. is. You're trying to Google it right now, and you're not fast enough. Cal L is the real name of Superman. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I did not know that. I thought you were gonna say like, <laughs> never mind. I thought you were gonna say like he was a guest three weeks ago on the podcast. I was like, wait, no, he wasn't. Uh, let's see here. All right, this one's pretty easy. Jello or pudding? It depends what I'm in the mood for. To be honest with you, I would say 99 percent of the time I'm gonna go. I'm a pudding man. But occasionally Jello can be good. Actually, no, I take that back. Jello's worthless. Give me pudding every time. There's no instance in which I would rather have Jello than pudding. I'm not going to pass up Jello. But if I was offered a choice, like, hey, you want Jello or pudding? I'm going to go with pudding every single time. I do agree, man. I do like, you know, I, I like the the brown stuff. I like the runny brown stuff. It's really good. I can tell. Do you mix it? Do you mix it with the whipped cream, or do you put the whipped cream on top? Oh, man, I'm so fat that I just do a quick whip it, you know, or whatever, in my mouth, and then I just eat the pudding, you know, just shove it in my mouth, the whipped cream already in there. For every bite? Uh, I mean, I, I managed to get a lot of whipped cream in there. I can usually get two or three spoonfuls of pudding in there. Wait a minute. It. You're t Okay. So you're going to take, like, the can of Cool Whip or whipped cream or whatever that thing is called. You're going to squirt it in your mouth. You're going to take one bite, another bite, another bite. Then squirt more in your mouth and repeat the process? Yeah. It's, you know. But why, yeah. why, why not just squirt a little bit less and go every bite? Or why not just put it on top of it from the very beginning? This is incredibly inefficient. I'm, I didn't say it made any sense. I don't. I don't know what to tell you. It's just. It's just the way I do it. Okay. When you put it in there, do you go? Do you put it in the middle of your mouth? You put it. Keep it on the sides. It's kind of like if you've ever eaten sunflower seeds, and you put the, the the chunk of sunflower seeds in the side of your mouth, and then you seed them right, and you spit out the shell. Like I have the whipped cream in just the side of my mouth. Okay, but do you purposely like move when you take a bite of the pudding? Do you purposely try to use your tongue or your cheek to move it into the pudding? Or do you just let it kind of hoping it's going to happen naturally? I, I think it just happens naturally, man. They just come together like they're meant to. Man. You have said some weird stuff on this. But every t I Okay. All right. What's That's next? Cool. Uh, banana split or an ice cream sundae? Ice cream sundae. Don't waste my time. Nobody wants fruit with their ice cream. <laughs> I mean, I think a good banana split is is kind of enjoyable. 
oh, you like the banana part? You've never gotten to the banana part and thought, wow, I wish that we would have used this surface area that gets used up in the banana for more ice cream. I mean, I have thought that, but I, I, I still stand by that I think a, a, a banana split's delicious. I mean, who, who thinks it isn't delicious? I don't think it's not good. I'm just, every time I have a banana split, I'm thinking, why did they bother putting this banana in here? You're just taking up more room for ice cream. It's really probably the the business establishment. It's probably a scam because I bet bananas are much cheaper than ice cream. And they're like, you know what? You know how we can save some money? Let's put a banana in this thing. <laughs> Takes up half the space of the ice cream. Then these idiots won't even know. Banana splits are a scam. It's a scam. I'm just going to move on. Uh, waffle cone, sugar cone, or just in a bowl if you're eating like, ice cream? Waffle cone. I do agree with you, actually. I do love me a waffle cone. I'm, I mean, I'm going to go waffle cone, then sugar cone. Putting it in a bowl is a sign that someone has given up on life. Like, you're basically <laughs> saying, me as a person, I am incompetent. And can no longer handle eating ice cream out of a cone. It's too difficult for me. It's too much energy for me to do this. I no longer want to spend the energy to enjoy my life. That's what you're saying when you do that. <laughs> I, I just, I'm scared to death of putting anything in a bowl and having to weigh it if I have to because of my, uh, you know, uh, experience with uh, Froyo. So. I, I just go cone straight up with ice cream. Just to kind of fill people in on this, what John is talking <laughs> about, John and I used to go and we would get Froyo together. This is probably back <laughs> a couple of years ago. And he's the only person alive who didn't understand the concept that they would weigh your food at the end. So he just filled the bowl all the way up, not understanding why no one else did that. Granted, he probably would have filled it all the way up anyway because... He's the kind of guy that squirts whipped cream into his mouth when eating pudding. But still, it's most, more the fact it's more the fact that he didn't understand the basic concept. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just I, I got nothing. You're right. I never had froyo before. Uh, I'm sure the first time wasn't with you, but you know, I still hadn't grasped it at that point. Well, I mean, that... if it if it took you more than one time to understand the concept of paying by weight. You should probably go ahead and get that vasectomy. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I got nothing. I actually kind of agree with you on that. What, um, kind, what kind of person would go to a buffet and like, I don't know what to do. I don't understand how this works. But, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I thought there was like an option. Like I didn't understand. It, it's over, right? It's a long time ago. It doesn't matter. Like we talked about earlier, the smallest of decisions can have the biggest of impact. Okay, so our top five is top five worst ice cream flavors. What's your number five? Uh, just for the record, I'm going with flavors I've actually had. I don't know how you did it, but I'm going with flavors I've actually eaten. Okay. Um, so my number five is pistachio. I don't know if I've ever had it, but this the basic concept of it does sound disgusting. Like, why yeah, would somebody not, want to have that? Yeah, it's not. It's, it's just not very enjoyable. But I'm not a big pistachio nut person anyway, so I probably should have never tried the ice cream. Well, I don't I don't think that that's okay. If you're somebody listening to this and you legitimately not for like a hey, I'm going to get this thing to stand out when I'm ordering ice cream with my friends, but if you legitimately buy for your private consumption and enjoy pistachio ice cream above all others, 
then I would like to understand why. Because I get why somebody would get it just to be like, I'm going to get pistachio because I'm different. But if you <laughs> legitimately like it, I don't understand that. I'm, I'm right there. I, I, I couldn't. I mean, I put down a couple. Of, I put down some pints of ice cream in my day, right? And I, I couldn't imagine eating an entire pint of pistachio ice cream. Like, I don't know why anybody would. Maybe if it's like super kind of nice chef restaurant kind of place, and they're like this flavor palette matches perfectly. <laughs> I could see getting some pistachio, but in my mind, I'd be like, why don't you put some chocolate on there, man? I'm, being, <laughs> I'm glad the flavor. So I I'm, put it in my mouth. Right. I'm glad the flavor profile matches perfectly, but chocolate's just better. Uh, my number five. Man. You know what? What I Honestly, my number five, I could exchange for nine, my number one. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to skip giving you my number five. Because it could also be my number one, depending on how... No, I'm just going to say it now. Number five is vanilla. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. I mean, that's that's a brave, that's a brave move. I mean, I, I actually agree. I think it's the weakest out of, like, the main flavors. But I don't think it's one of the worst. I think it's one of the worst because even if you get any of these other kind of flavors that we will talk about and are complete garbage... At least there's something different. I really struggled with not putting vanilla as number one. I really thought about it. Because it's just like, oh, what did you have? Vanilla? Oh, wow, really? That's boring. I mean, it makes... It re- I mean, it really does make a lot of sense. It really is like the John Shaw of ice cream. It just, like, it's just white and boring. And what's the point? <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> I, I'm profoundly pointless what's the point i i i completely agree what's your number four uh banana yeah okay yeah banana flavored ice cream is not like having a banana and a banana split i can tell you that could you just replace the banana in the banana split with banana flavored ice cream and would it be about the same no not not even close in my opinion yeah, banana ice cream just doesn't taste, doesn't even sound like that would be good. See, I've never had banana, so I can't comment on it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's as terrible as you think it is. We'll just, I'll just leave it up to your imagination, I suppose. What's your number four? Coffee. Garbage. Okay. I, I actually, I think if I've had it once or twice, I like it. So I, it's not, it didn't make my list, but I can understand because you don't like coffee, I don't think. So, the, why would you like coffee ice cream? That's probably a strong motivating factor. What's your number three? Uh, butterscotch. Oh, I thought we were going to have the same one. Because you started out with a B. I got bubblegum. Okay. I've never had bubblegum ice cream. I'm going to put bubblegum ice cream as basically, in my mind, a stand-in for any of those kind of worthless candy flavors. Like bubblegum, cotton candy, birthday cake. All that shit that, like, wow, none of this is any good. Just offensive to me. I don't mean to sound dumb. I'm sure I'm going to. But, um, so like bubblegum ice cream, is there actual chunks of bubblegum in it or does it just taste like, like bubblegum? Fair enough. Oh, let's look it up. Bubble (laughs) gum ice cream. I mean, I'm sure some jackass actually put bubblegum in there. Yeah, I'm sure. Great Value Ice Cream does, in fact, include small bubblegum candies. 
Interesting. Okay. If anybody listening to this can hear my phone going ding, 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 we put this question on Twitter about ice cream, and these are all the people responding about their different things. So we're going to have a lot of options available. Uh, my number two is orange uh, sorbet. Is sorbet ice cream? I think it's sorbet, man. I think that's a different thing. I think that's a DQ. I think that's a disqualified. Does <laughs> I get to hang up now and go to bed? No. It means you have to stay on for longer and listen to me breathe. <laughs> no, that's what you have to do to me, which I'm I'm very sorry about. No, that's a sorbet, man. What are you thinking? Come on now. Uh, I, I, I still tastes like shit, and it, it looks like ice cream. I have had, I believe I have had, like... Is sorbet different than sherbet? No, I, I, they should be the same thing, I believe. Hmm. I've never understood gelato. Every time I'm seeing it, it's like, hey, get gelato. Why? You could get ice cream. Do you have ice cream? Because it's a lot better than gelato. Oh, that's okay. So it is different. Sorbet is made from fruit and sugar, as were sherbet, sher, sherbet, sherbet. Fuck, dude. <laughs> it's made from fruit, sugar, and cream. Oh, so there's cream. Yeah. All right. Well, if if we're if we're if we're DQing that, which I completely understand, I'll go ahead and put one of my honorable mention into my number two spot, which will be lemon ice cream. Then that sounds disgusting as well. Yeah. Any basically, any kind of fruit flavored ice cream is probably going to be bad. Yeah, it's it's terrible. I kind of got a theme going with like banana, lemon. It's it's they're all disgusting. What was that? Your number two. That's my number two. My number two is mint chocolate chip. Uh, I mean, I'm not a big fan of it, but I don't think it's one of the worst that I've ever had. I think the reason that it raises so high in my mind is because it's so close to chocolate chip, right? It's one of those things that, like, well, I thought this would be a lot better. I don't know if it's really that bad. I would normally only put it at a four, but it's just, it's more the audacity of it. Like, you could have just been chocolate chip. But you decided to be mint and be crappy. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Right. Like chocolate chip mint would be, all right, that's not bad. Like those candies they give you at crappy restaurants. You know the one I'm talking about that has the green bar on the bottom? Yeah, man. Like you think it's going to be like, oh, it's a mint. And then it's it's just a chalky mess. That's the appropriate ratio of chocolate to mint in my mind. It should not be reversed. You should be talking 80% chocolate, 20% mint. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 or fucking 95.5 for all I care. Give me more chocolate and less mint. All right, what's your, ooh. All right, you try to guess my number one, I'll try to guess yours. Uh, I mean, there's so many, man. Um, hmm. I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, you're probably gonna keep it simple. So, so like strawberry. <laughs> that is that's my number one is strawberry. Total <laughs> waste of time. God damn, I know you too well. Um, I I I knew it. My number one, you would never have gotten because. Well, let me guess. Crazy. How do you know? Okay, that's a bold okay, statement. Lobster. No. Okay, I don't know it then. <laughs> Uh, goat cheese ice cream, actually. Oh. Wait a minute. It was made with goat cheese, or it's goat cheese flavored? It was goat cheese flavored. Was it goat cheese flavored and also made with goat? Is it? 
<laughs> is an ice cream made with cheese? Milk? Yeah. Milk. So I didn't ask a whole lot of questions, but from what I from what I understand and what it tasted like, there was probably real goat cheese in this ice cream. And I thought I was being worldly in trying it, and I should have just gone with something that I knew because it tasted like shit. Yeah, dude. That's not even on that list of where you might try it and like, oh, okay, that's different, but it might somehow be really good. Like, rum raisin sounds like it's going to be disgusting, but there's also in your back of your mind, like, oh, that might be really good. At no yeah. point does that goat cheese rise to that level. Well, I just started dating my wife, and she had just kind of opened my eyes up to all these different cheeses, and I might have been trying to impress her by Damn. knowing what, you know, pretending to have a an expansed palate. And she even looked at me and was like, you're getting that? You're wasting your $9, you idiot. You pay 9 Ooh, I'd be upset about that. I'm not going over $5 for an ice cream cone. That's a ridiculous yeah. price for an ice cream cone. I'll go to Dairy Queen and get that stuff for a buck twenty nine. Yeah, I won't. Yeah, I, I will never do that. Nor have I ever done that since that day. I don't think my wife would let me. She shouldn't. What's in your honorable mention? <laughs> she probably shouldn't. Uh, so I actually have strawberry, but it's in my honorable mention. I don't think it's worthy of of the worst, but it's definitely useless, like by far. Okay. Uh, I also have butter pecan because. Mm. It just makes no sense to me. Right. Um, and then I, I have one that I've had that no one else has probably ever had. Oh, but, uh, hard ass. <laughs> that's not why. I mean, why I have to have a comment for everything. Well, I don't know why you got to brag about your ice cream. Like, you're just so worldly, and you've had all the flavors of ice cream in the 170 countries all over the world. Ice cream <laughs> expert. Uh, whatever. No uh, one else has ever had this. Have you heard of... <laughs> Pistachio? <laughs> is that what, do I sound like fucking Yogi Bear? Is that what Yogi Bear sounds like? <laughs> I mean, it was a decent impression. Um, Can, let me anyway. let me hear your best impression of impersonating my voice. Hey guys, my name's Nick. I How feel, are you? I feel like that's pretty good. <laughs> I was like, for a second, I was like, oh, that does sound like me. That does sound like me. Like, hi. I just like to make people's lives a living hell. <laughs> yeah, that's. I don't know I'm who. Just I, kidding! You I, don't do that. I, You're a good guy. I don't even know which one I am right now. Like, <laughs> I'm having an existential crisis. That is really good. Um, I put uh, gummy bear ice cream is what I was talking about. Oh, okay. All right. Because the gummies like almost like like they almost froze. Like it wasn't even enjoyable. It just sucked. No, you can't mix like. I don't really like anything that you got to pull apart that much, right? Like, that's not, man, that's going to be a hard time. I don't want to deal with that. Like, I don't want to have something that's soft and gooey and then have to pick stuff out of my teeth. Not doing that. <laughs> um. Okay, I have, I don't really have any honorable mentions necessarily, but I have a lot of suggestions from other people. So we got spumoni, lobster, butter pecan, pistachio, wasabi, Cookies and cream, rum raisin. Oh, there's some coffees in there. What is pomoni? I don't even know what pomoni is. I don't know. It's got to be some kind of like, oh, molded gelato with layers of different colors and flavors. It looks like a cake. It actually looks kind of good. Didn't we have an intern once like we did. Ago? We did have an intern. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I remember that. 
Oh, I gotta check in with him, see if he's still. He was the last we heard about our intern. He was having difficulty finding housing. <laughs> so maybe we've ruined that guy's life. Okay, that's gonna go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We had stickers made. Yeah, stickers. So I think what we're gonna start doing is whoever has the best comment whether that's on the podcast episode itself or on social media, we're going to send you a sticker. I mean, if you don't want it, you don't have to take it, but we're just putting that offer out there. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.